PR Pro Cannabis Media. Hey everyone, I'm Weed Talk News producer Tori Chamberlain in for Elena Pinto this week. We've been on a two-week break to end the summer, but we are back to bring you the highest headlines and everything going on in the cannabis industry. So we want to start off with Missouri. Voters there are finally going to have legal weed on the November ballot after all. A recently filed lawsuit sought to keep the Legal Missouri 2022 initiative off the ballot after it was certified by the Secretary of State, and someone tried to challenge that. But this week, the state Supreme Court said that that legal battle is over, allowing adult-use cannabis to be up for a vote on the November ballot. But that's not the only piece of cannabis legislation that's trying to get on the bill. Our Missouri correspondent, Brandon Jones, has all the details in this week's Missouri Report. Hey, everybody. I'm Brandon Jones from Distribution Maven with Missouri Cannabis Report for Weed Talk News. And that right, that's right. This has been a pretty crazy roller coaster last couple of uh, months here in Missouri trying to get adults use on the bill. So the, the title of my story today is actually from Marijuana Moment. Missouri Marijuana Legalization Initiative will appear on November ballot after state Supreme Court rejects prohibitionist challenge. So as they were talking about here in the, in the intro, yes, the Legal Mo Initiative Amendment 3 was got passed and put on the ballot after some fighting there. They thought it was short of signatures and came back and got actually put onto the ballot. And then yes, we saw this initiative coming out by a, a group here in Missouri to try to get it taken off. So Joy Sweeney, affiliated with the Anti-Drug Coalitions of America, filed to take it off. So <laughs> it went through two different courts and then she tried to get it all the way to the Supreme Court with the help of the Colorado-based Colorado Protect Our Kids PAC. So they had a Colorado company come in and try to help support they took it all the way to the Supreme Court. And this Tuesday, they determined that the Supreme Court will not see this case. So Amendment 3 will stay on the ballot for adult use here in November. So all you people here in Missouri, please check out the amendment. Go on, check out the bill. And let's see if we can get adult use passed here in Missouri. Yes, there are some things on the bill that should be addressed and changed. But at this point in time, we got to be very happy with where they're going. Again, I'm Brandon Jones from Distribution Maven, with the Missouri Cannabis Report from Weed Talk News. Have a great week. Stay medicated and educated. While we're still waiting for significant change when it comes to cannabis on Capitol Hill, a pair of GOP congressmen have introduced a new bill that we might want to pay attention to. They're asking key cabinet officials in the Biden administration to study the environmental impacts of growing cannabis, acknowledging both the intensive electrical demand that it takes to grow cannabis, as well as the role that legalization can play in setting regulations on that sort of thing. And another cannabis bill is brewing in the nation's capital as well right now. This as thousands of advocates descend on the nation's capital for the 10th annual Cannabis Industry Lobby Days. Vote Pro podcast Phil Adams has all of those details and much more from DC this week. Hi, I'm Phil Adams from Vote Pro podcast here with the Weed Talk News DC report. More than 100 cannabis industry leaders and lobbyists descended on Capitol Hill this week to meet with lawmakers in a push for a long-sought marijuana banking bill. Organized by the National Cannabis Industry Association, stakeholders, including bipartisan sponsors in both houses of Congress, are ramping up their efforts in support of the Safe and Fair Enforcement Banking Act. 
The bill would protect financial institutions that serve state legal cannabis businesses from federal penalties. Current law forces legal cannabis businesses to operate entirely in cash, making them targets for criminal activity and preventing access to the same financial services enjoyed by other industries. Though it has passed the House in various forms seven times, the Safe Banking Act has stalled in the Senate under both GOP and Democratic control. With comprehensive cannabis reform looking less likely to pass the Senate, the NCIA and its allies on the Hill are anxious to pass the standalone Safe Banking Act this year before the midterms, if possible. A bill to enable small cannabis companies to compete with large canna corporations was introduced in the House this week. The Small and Homestead Independent Producers Act would give small companies the ability to sell and ship cannabis products directly to consumers, including across state lines. Introduced by Representatives Jared Huffman and Earl Blumenauer, the SHIP Act is designed to maximize opportunities for small farmers and producers once cannabis becomes federally legal. The bill addresses concerns that smaller businesses will struggle to compete with large multi-state operators who possess the resources to dominate the market once prohibition ends. The Washington, D.C. Office of Employee Appeals has overturned the firing of a federal employee who was terminated after testing positive for cannabis in 2020. The employee, who is also a registered medical cannabis patient, petitioned the administrative court, saying she had been wrongly accused of being impaired on the job. While she admitting, admitted to using cannabis days earlier, she said, she said she hadn't consumed any on the days when she was working. OEA Judge Monica Donji ruled that the Office of Unified Communications, where the employee worked, was negligent in how it initiated the referral for reasonable suspicion of impairment. Donji said that because the employee was allowed to continue to perform her duties and did so adequately, the OUC did not reasonably believe that her ability to perform her job was impaired. The OUC was also ordered to reimburse the worker for all back pay and benefits. That's the Weed Talk News DC report for this week. I'm Phil Adams from Vote Pro Podcast. But lawmakers and advocates still don't seem to be giving up hope on safe banking. Tina Spraga in Massachusetts is the former president of Gardner Federal Credit Union, which is the first credit union to bank with cannabis companies. She's now with Lighthouse Biz Solutions, but our team got to speak to her at NECAN last week. And while lawmakers may be now discussing the possibility of Safe Banking Plus, she says that's still not enough. If we had the Safe Banking Act passed tomorrow, in our humble opinion, and I think Melissa agrees with me, Absolutely. it does not mean that banking the industry becomes mainstream and every financial institution is going to bank the industry. I don't think that there's going to be a lot, if any, regulatory and compliance relief to financial institutions. If anything, we're a little concerned that there might be more because now that we can acknowledge that banks and credit unions are banking the industry, then the burden could be on us to even give more information about the cannabis operators. 
Social equity could be coming to the Bay State in the form of clearing cannabis convictions, which is huge news. A unanimous opinion recently issued by the Supreme Judicial Court of Massachusetts clarifies a 2018 state law that provides judges with only limited leeway with respect to denying requests for cannabis-related expungements. Well, one attorney says that this new ruling means people with legitimate requests for those expungements will face fewer barriers to removing past convictions from their criminal records. A great step toward actual social equity here in Massachusetts. But the same forgiveness may not be given to our athletes around the world. The World Anti-Doping Agency is set to leave cannabis on its list of prohibited substances for 2023. This is despite the significant backlash that occurred when Shikari Richardson was banned from participating just before the 2020 Summer Olympics, which I'm sure you all remember. Failing to remove cannabis from the prohibited substances list means that professional athletes who must adhere to that drug testing code will continue to be blocked from using medical or adult use cannabis, despite it being widely legalized now in several states and territories, and even now other countries around the world. You'll remember Shikari Richardson was only 22 when this whole incident occurred with her, and she opened up and admitted to her use, saying she used it for emotional distress to deal with the death of her mother. A pretty solid reason to use cannabis, but still the World Anti-Doping Agency says those uh, reasons are not legitimate, even if they come from a doctor. So unfortunately, they're not planning to lift any of those suspensions for anyone else. Uh, keeping the fate of athletes similar to that of Shikari Richardson's from 2020. Meanwhile, in Maine, things have been a battle there, particularly for small cannabis companies. And now it looks like home delivery is the new front that's being fought for. Our new Maine correspondent, Rye Russell, has the details in our Maine report this week. Hi, I'm Rye Russell from Bud's Emporium in Medway, Maine, with this week's Maine Cannabis Report with We Talk News. Adult use delivery is finally here in the state of Maine. Or is it? This past week, the Office of Cannabis Policy released its rules on adult use delivery, which would allow adult use retail stores the ability to offer home delivery to their customers. But what was once originally a very exciting prospect for retailers comes with the harsh reality of some overregulation once again with some operators saying they will refuse to offer delivery until the state relaxes on these policies. The most prohibitive of these policies is the requirements for delivery manifests for each delivery. So a consumer would be able to place an order online and a retail store would collect that order, package the product and make the delivery. However, the state's rules and the use of metric, a tracking system, there's going to be a bottlenecked and inefficient process with potentially exuberant paperwork just in order to process a simple delivery. Additionally, delivery drivers are required to record their deliveries, something drivers and consumers could find to be rather intrusive. We'll continue to follow main delivery guidelines and policy updates right here on your main cannabis report. I'm Rye Russell from Bud's Emporium in Medway, Maine, reporting for Weed Talk News. New York lawmakers have sent a letter to New York City's mayor, Eric Adams, urging him to clamp down on illicit sales going on in the city. The letter describes those businesses as, quote, 
unscrupulous entities that have taken advantage of not only New Yorkers, but the visitors and tourists to the city, taking advantage of the confusion that's going on with the transition of recreational sales happening in the Empire State right now. Now, in mid-August, the New York City Police Department actually seized a total of 19 vehicles that were owned by people accused of selling cannabis in Times Square illegally. 19 just in one month. So you can imagine that this is growing to be quite a problem. So now these lawmakers are telling the mayor that he needs to do something about it. Meanwhile, a media investigation in Pennsylvania is finding that the state's vague medical cannabis employment protections are causing confusion there as well for patients and employers alike. Claudia Post has that story and more in this week's Pennsylvania report. Claudia Post from Scarlet Express, and I'm here in the Keystone State, Pennsylvania, reporting for We Talk News. First up, it's very exciting that we have now in Pennsylvania implemented uh, what they are calling the Pennsylvania Marijuana Pardon Project. It's an initiative and a coordinated effort for one-time large-scale pardoning of people with select minor nonviolent marijuana criminal convictions. Of course, yeah, let's clear out the prisons. It's ridiculous. The Pennsylvania Board of Pardons is accepting those applications now, and it will close on September the 30th. John Fetterman and Tom Wolf have initiated this, and it was it happened today, so it's pretty exciting. Now, representatives of the law enforcement community and of course the business community are seeking justice and reform. We are now implementing another landmark uh, exciting program called the Pennsylvania Clean Slate. Let's call it expungement, which is even better. So what happens here is uh, the, 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 the records are sealed for an individual, again, with a low level drug felony after 10 years with a criminal free record after 10 years, of course. This is a crime fighting measure. It is an important legislation that will help increase employment and other important opportunities for those with records. Because as an employer, I know that I employed um, prisoners uh, in my warehouses. I felt very strongly about that. They were making their way through the system. And I feel like that's the right thing to do to give people a second chance. So I did that. Uh, now, the Pennsylvania medical marijuana industry is in upheaval. It's a mess here. Prices are plummeting. Consolidation is growing. Consolidation, of course, when I'm talking about multi-state operators gobbling up smaller companies, which is what we all feared. This is not a good thing. This is a, an industry that started with, you know, mom and poppers. And why are we going to change the face of that? I have no idea, but I know that we're all in for a fight. The situation has spurred independent operators to call on the state to help with this. 
help mitigate this because it's putting people out of business. And of course, the prices of marijuana, as we all know, are plummeting. And that's a problem also. Well, that's another problem altogether. Anyway, those are the really big things that happened in Pennsylvania over these, this little bit of time. And I'm Claudia Post from Scarlet Express, and I'll be back next week talking about what's hot and what's not in Pennsylvania. So from We Talk News, have a groovy week. Another area seeing crackdowns on cannabis is Washington State. A recent investigation there reveals a couple of raids on local stores, and it turns out cannabis wasn't the only thing that they were keeping behind the shelves. Josh Kincaid has that story in our Washington Report. I'm Josh Kincaid from the Talking Heads with the Washington State Cannabis Report for Weed Talk News. Cannabis shops were raided in Washington State. According to the Cannabis Observer, Following an investigation into unlicensed cannabis sales, Washington's Liquor and Cannabis Board, known as the LCB, entered two businesses that were subject to an investigation and seized 1,300 pounds of cannabis at the stores, including large quantities of cannabis concentrates and edibles. During the investigation, which began after multiple complaints alleged that the stores were selling cannabis without a license, the LCB undercover officers purchased illegal cannabis, including psilocybin mushrooms and peyote. So these stores were in fact a front for commercial drug dealing. They had no license and selling illegal psychedelics. Many of the cannabis infused products would have been illegal to sell in the mar regulated marketplace, including products that were exceeding THC limits and products that were considered appealing to children. Both locations that were raided were also operating illegal cannabis clubs. And side note, it's a felony to maintain and operate a marijuana lounge or cannabis club. So the raids in Washington are surely going to cause ripple effects across the U.S. cannabis industry. Prosecutors said they were not going after patients, but employees were told that they would be subpoenaed to testify before grand jury if, if, if the investigations move forward. Even if their raids are not a statement about the use of cannabis in Washington, they may have national implications. So even though cannabis is now legalized at the state level, seems to show the intent of regulators to continue to prosecute based on national draconian laws. Next week, you guys are going to find out more about Washington State's cannabis scene, but with that, we're going to have to roll up this Washington State Cannabis Report. I'm Josh Kincaid with the Talking Hedge reporting for Weed Talk News. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out. So another event underway this week is Benzinga's Cannabis Capital Conference happening in the Windy City of Chicago. It's the 15th edition of this conference, and it's a two-day event at the Palmer House Hilton this year. Attendees will be given an opportunity to broaden their network and listen to a who's who of keynote speakers in the industry. This is billed as the top cannabis conference in the world where stars are made and deals happen. And a recent conference of this was actually the very site where True Leave met the Harvest Health and Recreation team, which resulted in an acquisition deal worth more than $2 billion. So it may be worth your while to check it out. There's a new sheriff in town when it comes to cannabis in Michigan. And get this, he actually has a criminal law enforcement background. To see how that's going to work out and for more on what's going on in Michigan this week, here's Michigan Normal Executive Director Rick Thompson. Hello again, everyone. This is the Michigan Report with Rick Thompson for Weed Talk News. Let's begin. In the wake of the resignation of the director of the Michigan Cannabis Regulatory Agency, a new interim director was named on Thursday, September 15th. Mr. Hanna steps into the role previously filled 
by outgoing director Andrew Brisbough and will serve at the pleasure of Governor Whitmer until a new director is announced. Mr. Hanna is a law enforcement officer with the Michigan State Police and had previously served in the old marijuana regulatory agency, but has been away from the game for a couple of years. The appointment of a state trooper is an unwelcome sign to many business owners and consumers in Michigan, as the MSP has traditionally not been on board with cannabis law reform. They still push their anti-scientific roadside swab testing for THC. Their state police lab just admitted they delivered false or misleading chemical lab results for decades when testing for THC and CBD, and they influenced the legislature to erase the rights and reforms granted by our two voter-directed initiatives. It is our hope that the governor will appoint someone more neutral in alignment to the permanent directorship. On Wednesday of this week, the regulatory agency held one of their quarterly public review meetings, and they asked respondents to focus on three separate topics, restricted ownership of cannabis cultivation and micro-businesses, discontinuing the excess producer licenses, and placing a moratorium on issuing new cultivation licenses. Now, these issues are timely. Michigan's cannabis pricing has been in free fall for a long time and we're flirting with $100 ounce pricing in many retail outlets. Responses to the moratorium fell along predictable lines. The state's large producers are not in favor of a limitation, while the small cannabis entities feel a cap on licenses is necessary to ensure financial stability. The excess producer license is a hated creation of the old marijuana regulatory agency and is widely despised the ownership restrictions seem to fall at about 50-50 in support or opposed. What was more interesting were the additional issues raised by the in-person and virtual attendees at the review meetings. Now, they included complaints about the use of illegal immigrants as migrant workers, truckloads of cannabis distillate driving from processor to processor looking for someone to buy it, accusations of cannabis coming in from out-of-state markets and flooding Michigan's retail outlets, and the unique argument that certain processors are making more distillate than their supply of cannabis plants could logically produce. Blame was flung at the government, the illicit market, the regulatory agency, the big corporate giants, the government again. What is clear is that the nation's second largest cannabis market might be considered a mature market by American standards, but it still has a lot of growing pains left to work out. Michigan's cannabis sales during the month of August actually slipped 1% from their July record-setting highs. Now, the number was $208 million, which is $189 million in adult use sales and only $18.4 million in medical sales, which is the lowest number in years. When considered by themselves, adult use sales are actually up from July's number, by a fraction of a percent. Year-to-date cannabis sales are $1.42 billion, and it's likely the state will hit $2 billion in sales during calendar 2022. And that's it for the Michigan Report with Rick Thompson.
for Weed Talk News. And finally, another day, another new study blowing smoke in the stereotype of the lazy stoner. A new study published in the International Journal of Neuropsychopharmacology looked at data on 274 adults and adolescents who reported using cannabis one to seven times a week for at least three months, so pretty regularly. What the researchers found was zero difference in apathy or reward-based behavior between those frequent weekly users and people who didn't use cannabis at all. So that pretty much puts the argument of the lazy stoner to bed. You can't tell us that that's the reason. And get this, frequent cannabis consumers, the researchers found, actually experience more pleasure as well in their daily lives than those who abstain from the plant. Who'd have thought? I think most of us who consume the, the plant probably could have told you that it brings a little bit more pleasure to life. But for those who might not have known, now you do, and there's science behind it. After all, it's a whole new world of weed out there, so keep using it wisely, everyone. For now, I'm Weed Talk News producer Tori Chamberlain. We'll see you next time. With that, we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, this is Cheryl Murray Powell Esquire, and I'm the host of the Terps in the City podcast. I am a cannabis agricultural dietary supplement and trade attorney. I'm also a hemp farmer, and I've been recently named to the list of High Times Magazine's top 100 influencers in cannabis. I'm inviting you to follow me along my journey as I move back to New York to support the adult use market there. You're going to get a chance to listen to conversations with some of my friends along the way. I look forward to seeing you at Terps in the City.